Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, to wash away 200 years of history. They want to make this country into a banana republic, where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? No! It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. That was Senator Chuck Schumer... In 2005, but Senator Chuck Schumer in 2022 is all about it. Senator Chuck Schumer in 2022 is flat out desperate for it, more than willing to blow up the filibuster in order to get his way. Now on January, about January 6th, and defending democracy. At the same time, the Senate will also proceed on another urgent and fundamental matter. Protecting our democracy and strengthening the right to vote in free and fair elections. Later today, I'll meet with a number of my colleagues to continue our conversation on voting rights. And I'll meet with our entire caucus for the first time this year to talk about how we're going to move forward. They want to move forward by getting rid of the filibuster and therefore just being able to say this is what we want, even though it's not good legislation. They don't care that it's good legislation. They think it's legislation that will help them win elections. They're fine with anything that allows them to win, including doing what he was just discussing less than 20 years ago. Blowing up democracy. He's fine with it because power matters. You see, they have a point of view, do the progressives, and they have to get that point of view across. And whatever it takes to get that point of view across must be okay. After all, their point of view is that important. Remember that it is never about control top line. It is control being needed because what they have to offer you and provide to you is so incredibly and desperately important. You just don't understand. And their job is to teach you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of what it is we do over here. They believe that they are indeed touched by God. They know best. They know what it is you need. And what you need is a voting rights bill that doesn't actually do anything for you. Doesn't provide you anything, but certainly creates more opportunities for impropriety. That's the issue. That's the story. 
They have been talking about voting rights bills the moment they realized they wouldn't be able to get away with doing more mail-in voting. When you saw Georgia change their rules, you need a voting rights bill from the federal government because in Georgia you're not allowed to hand out bottles of water to people online to vote. Tell them to bring their own damn bottles of water. A lot of people are talking about what's going on in Virginia with the roads. And you've got cars and trucks that have been stuck on the roadways because of a storm for hours. And they're writing about it. This is unprecedented. That's the Fox News headline. This is unprecedented. With all due respect, I grew up in Jersey, totally precedented. I've witnessed this with my own eyes, living in D.C. Washington, D.C., during snow, people give up all rational thought. They can't drive. They can barely walk. They wet themselves. It's a mess. I don't argue that things can't be tough. I am making the argument that there were a lot of people who got on the roads who should never have gotten on the roads. And there were some people who got on the roads who had to get on the roads. And they didn't have food with them, water with them. I spent six years in Los Angeles. Maybe I have a better knowledge uh, than others uh, that, you know, uh, something bad can come and you got to be prepared for it. We had blankets in the car at all times. Me too. Changes of clothes in the car at all times. Now, did you do that, Producer Ari, because you grew up in Wisconsin and you knew weather could be bad? I only did it once I moved to Indiana because nobody knows how to drive here. So I was like, someone's going to wreck me and I'm going to need a blankie. I spent two weeks in Florida during Christmas. Let me just say, Indiana drivers are fantastic. Florida drivers are the end of civilization as we know it. No, that's, that's, that's fair. It's brutal. It was crazy. You know, my wife almost got killed. Whoa. Seriously? Oh, oh, that's absolutely positive. She was in the car with, with the kids, and she was moving into uh, the, the right lane, and uh, the car was well, well, well back, and it was going 100 miles an hour, and it still moved further to the right to, to go past her. Almost killed her. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's still still rattled. Yeah, her, that's her, scary, dude. Her and the kids, oh, crazy. But it's true. Florida is the only place I've ever lived where if you're trying to get into another lane, people will speed up to stop you. That's absolutely positively true of my time living there and visiting there. But when I'm on the roads and it's winter, I know to be prepared. And you've got people who've been stuck on the roads for 24 hours, 20 hours. It's, it's, it's madness. Absolute madness. I feel for those people, but you got to prepare yourself. It's extremely important. And so I've seen this story a million times. I don't think that this is unprecedented. Unprecedented is a Democratic Party so desperate to say, we want to control how it is you vote, and we don't want states to have a say. We don't want states to be able to have anything to say. When it comes to voting, we want to control it beginning to end. We don't give a damn about the citizenry. And let me be clear, Chuck Schumer doesn't give a damn about the citizenry. He doesn't care. They don't like the fact that Republican-led legislatures and governors made sure that elections were staying intact in states like Georgia and in states like Texas. It goes against their wants and desires as progressives, and so they're willing to do anything to get back the power that they believe is theirs, as opposed to ensuring voting works. 
If your argument is that it's racist not to be able to hand out a bottle of water to somebody online to vote, your argument sucks. Don't you know that you're not bright? You don't have what it takes to keep up with the conversation? You're not good enough? If you want to argue that not being able to give out a bottle of water is racist, if that, if I shouldn't say you, right? I don't think it's you. If someone wants to argue that not being able to give out a bottle of water is racist, that person is a fool. You should laugh at them. And then you should laugh at their mother, who's probably pretty embarrassed as it is, that their child would be this ridiculous. And so they're willing to blow up the filibuster. Remember, they have to get over cloture. Cloture is what ends debate. That's the 60-vote threshold. Then you can have 51 votes or 50 plus the tiebreaker of the vice president, and you're good to go. That you can do. But Chuck Schumer has another problem, and that other problem is pretty serious. And his problem is Senator Joe Manchin and Senator, Senator Kirsten Sinema. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. You're gonna need congressional approval, and you don't have the votes. He doesn't have it. They've both said they're not in favor of blowing up the filibuster. They have no interest in this. And so the the story is is that Schumer is going to sit down with Manchin and uh, they're going to talk because he's going to do everything he can to blow this all up. He's going to do everything he can in order to get this through. But Joe Manchin's been pretty clear that he is not agreeing to any of this. Been for rules being done the way we've always done, two thirds of the uh, members voting, and uh, any way you can do a rules change to where everyone's involved, and basically that's a rule that usually will stay. Uh, that's what we should be pursuing. But you know, uh, we're still ongoing conversations as far as on voting because I think the bedrock of democracy is making sure that you're able to cast a vote if you're if you're legal of age and the United States citizen, you should be able to cast a vote and it should be counted accurately. So we're talking about those things there. I'll go here they'll come. So, so it's just to clarify. You had to you wait are, a second. It was hard, wasn't it? It was hard. I was okay. So just to be clear, you are open to the idea of using the nuclear option to change the rules to pass voting rights legislation on a simple majority. Let me just say let me just say that, that, that to being open to uh, a rules change that would uh, create a nuclear option, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult. So it's a heavy lift. And the reason I say it's a heavy lift is that once uh, you change uh, a rule or you have a carve out, I've always said this, uh, anytime there's a, a carve out, uh, you eat the whole turkey. <laughs> there's nothing left because it comes back and forth. So you want things that will be sustainable. That's what you're looking for. So that common sense, commonality. But if, it's a, if you know, I just believe that it's bedrock of democracy is voting, and we have to do what we can in order to preserve that. But let's just see. The conversations are still ongoing. I've been talking to everybody. We've been having good conversations for about since we left two weeks ago. Now it seems to me in this conversation from Senator Joe Manchin, that he's having there with a gaggle in, in on Capitol Hill. That he's not in favor of a nuclear option. He's not in favor of getting rid of the filibuster. When they say nuclear option, that's what they're referring to. Yet the question gets now phrased differently. 
Okay. He was talking about $1.75 trillion worth of infrastructure spending that wasn't infrastructure and finally said no. So he's talking about this. I don't know what they think they're going to give him. And you got to convince two Democrats. But how desperate they are. How desperate they are. Happily throw it all out. But they'll tell you how January 6th is the worst thing that ever happened. But when they want to change the rules, when they want to change the laws, when they want to get their way, nothing matters. But when the Republicans get power, watch how quickly they demand the filibuster and how they demand that Republicans not even think about passing legislation because that wouldn't be fair because they're not in power. Only Democrats can pass legislation. That's the way they view it, and you know it. Oh, it's going to be fun watching Chuck Schumer fail again. Man, November cannot come fast enough. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. The lawsuit has been dismissed. It's the lawsuit against Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic over the album cover to Nevermind. That's the the naked baby, and then there's the dollar, and it's like the baby swimming after the, the, the dollar. And those are the guys being sued because Kurt Cobain is no longer with us. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. The the, the, the baby who has now grown up, Spencer Eldon, um, uh, said, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, you used this photo uh, without my consent. The nudity is child abuse. And uh, you owe me a whole bunch of money. Even though this guy had been supportive of the cover a few years prior. So uh, a whole bunch of people got sued. Grohl, Dave Grohl, of course, Foo Fighters, Chris Novoselic, the, the former bassist of, of uh, Nirvana. Courtney Love, the widow of Kurt Cobain. Uh, they all defended themselves, a bunch of managers. And uh, I believe their defense was, what's wrong with you people? And the judge said, correct. What's wrong with you people? I don't blame him for trying to sue, though. Really? If somebody told me, hey, there's a 15% chance you can make $20 million in this lawsuit, I would say, okay. Yeah, you see, that's that's you. You're 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 terrible. How am I terrible? A lawyer you, told me it was a it was a it was a chance. It, you it, you're t- you see, you're the problem. I, I just want to be clear uh, about this. You are the problem in society. 
You're like, ooh, there's a shot. Well, yeah, but you, you have no case and you're probably going to go to hell. Yeah, but there's a shot I can get paid. And as long as I can get paid, nothing matters. Man, that's the enemy of humanity right there. Dad, you are being so overly dramatic. Are you kidding? That is a fundamental flaw in society. As much as people who wear pajamas on airplanes. We're doing uh, that on our way back from Hawaii. because we no, have a 10 you're p- not. We have a 10 p.m. flight. I don't care if your flight's at 2 in the morning. You will not wear pajamas on a plane. You're a grown-ass man. I'm going to take a picture and send it to you, me and my wife, in, <sighs> in, in coach, unlike you and your first-class tickets. You're, you're, are you really flying coach? No, I mean, we're... <laughs> I know. To be fair, on the way we're flying coach the way there. On the way back, our flights at 10 p.m. because flights to Hawaii back to America are always late. So we got first class because they have like can, bed seats. Can we can we stop? You just said flights from Hawaii back to America. Can we just correct that just real I quick? I meant the continental United States. Okay, good. I just I didn't want the emails. I didn't want one more email that says, seriously, Tony, why is Ari here? I don't need any more of those in my life. How many do you get? Oh, Ari, I don't tell you everything. You don't wear pajamas on an airplane. You're a grown man. Act like it. And secondly, you don't sue people just because, well, they got a bunch of money and I might get lucky. Maybe they'll pay me to go away. That's the, that's the disgusting part of society. It's just wrong. So, of course, this dude is wrong. This dude is full of garbage. I'm glad it got thrown out. I only hope he has to pay any kind of legal fees for anything that uh, that Dave Grohl had to hire. I don't it- think he proposed the idea, though. I'm sure some lawyer came to him and said, hey, let's do this. None. First of all, that's very possible. Secondly, let's disbar the lawyer. For what? Fraudulent lawsuits wasting my time? Oh, they're so I love dumb lawsuits. You're We wonder. We wonder how it is we're losing to the Chinese, everybody. Well, here you go. That is Producer Ari is the answer. I, I am not gonna be placed the blame for losing to the Chinese. I just want to say that right now. You're you're the reason. Oh, I'm not. You're 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 fraudulent lawsuits and you're wearing a pajamas on airplanes. You don't see the Chicoms wearing pajamas on airplanes, do you? You can't possibly relate pajamas on airplanes to losers of the Chinese. I just did. I I damn. Meanwhile, damn. the the lawsuit is is done. I'm very happy to see it. I'm glad uh, that that they lost. Also, uh, they're making a big deal about the fact that Jimmy Fallon has tested positive for COVID. It's Omicron. Lots of people testing positive for COVID. Okay. Is it special because he's a television host? Take some cold medicine and you'll be fine. Check with your doctor. You might want to try monoclonal antibodies if, of course, you can get them. Why is Joe Biden screaming at ranchers? That story up next. So the question before us is, are we seeing a blame game? President Biden, he's going to speak with meat producers, small meat producers, actually going to take a billion dollars and give it to the small producers to help them deal with inflation. Because, you know, the answer to dealing with inflation is putting more cash into the system. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 
But in the conversation that he had yesterday, he made an address, if you will, to the American people. And in it, he doesn't talk about his own policies. He doesn't talk about inflation. He doesn't talk about uh, the inflation rate of 6.8%. The price is going up, the, the largest since 1982. No, he goes into a conversation about how big meat companies, you got big oil, you got big tech, you got big pharma, now you got big meat. These companies are overcharging at the stores and they're overcharging families. This is President Biden in his own words. But today we're here to talk about strengthening competition, which will bring down cost. Back in July, I signed an executive order to promote competition across the economy. In too many industries, a handful of giant companies dominate the market. And too often, they use their power to squeeze out smaller competitors and stifle new entrepreneurs, making our economy less dynamic, giving themselves free reign to raise prices, reduce options for consumers, or exploit workers. The meat industry is a textbook example on the price side. Four big corporations control more than half of the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. These middlemen that they buy from, farmers and ranchers, and sell the processors, excuse me, and sell the process, excuse me, sell the processed product to grocery stores. That's the, that's the way it works. Without meaningful competition, farmers and ranchers don't get to choose who they sell to. He went on to say that on the other side, they're charging you, the consumer, uh, too much as well. It's a very interesting level of blame game going on here. It's a very, uh, as I see it, insulting thing uh, to say. It certainly seems like Joe Biden is not doing enough to take a look at his own policies. But is there something to this? As they call them, these, these, these big four, Tyson, JBS, Manfrig, and Seaboard. Is there an issue at play? And why wasn't there an issue two years ago? David Harden joins us right now, the manager of Harden Farms uh, in Danville, Indiana has his uh, degree in animal science from Purdue University, a master's degree in business administration uh, from DePaul, spent time on the Chicago Board of Trade and was president of the Indiana Pork Advocacy Coalition. His farm is responsible for a 600 sow farrow to finish unit that produces 12,000 pigs each and every year. Sir, you know this world better than I do. I am more interested in understanding uh, the, the nature of the conversation than the, the political nature of the conversation. I think I can take care of that part. But let's start with some basics, sir. Does President Biden have a point here that there are basically four uh, producers out there that are squeezing everybody else in the industry? Well, good morning, Tony. Thank, thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with you. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, as with so many things, it's a very, very complicated issue. Uh, we have seen over the past uh, couple of decades uh, a large amount of consolidation in, in the meatpacking industry. Uh, it's probably more prevalent in uh, beef and poultry than, than what we have to deal with in, in the pork sector, but it it is something that, you know, has as producers that are in the, the, the small to medium uh, scale like like ourselves that it it does 
bring a certain amount of concern uh, from time to time. Uh, you know, we find it's it's difficult to uh, you know when you don't have the scale that the, the larger producers do. It's sometimes hard to feel like you've got the bargaining or the the leverage uh, to be able to try and negotiate the best best deal and the best price for your animals. So this is a conversation that would play out in lots of different uh, fields, in, in, in manufacturing, in, 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 in levels of biotech. Uh, retailers who are competing against Walmart would have this conversation constantly. But President Biden's specific conversation was was that these four, and I believe uh, the four that were, were listed were Tyson, JBS, Manfred, and Seaboard, are responsible for not only squeezing you, but they're the ones responsible for raising prices to uh, the, the the supermarkets, so therefore uh, me and you and and, and everybody listening, uh, the the end consumer, was this not a problem two years ago, and this is only a problem now? Well, Tony, I think you know uh, as you probably talk about a lot in your show, uh, it depends upon what the uh, you know. What the issue of the the day is, uh, you know, this is something that we in the, the industry have, have, while not been raising red flags about, have at least been saying, hey, uh, this is probably something that we should, should take a look at uh, to make sure that you know there are transparent markets that uh, you know so the laws of supply and demand work, and you know, in the end, you know, we as uh, you know the producers of the, the animals get, get paid a fair price and we still on the other end of the spectrum have you know safe and affordable food that the, the consumer is able to go to the store and, and purchase talking to david harden uh learn more about him with purdue agriculture center for commercial agriculture spent time in the chicago board of trade in the grain futures division of rj o'brien a member of the board of directors for the indiana pork producers association since 2005 let's be a little more specific in what it is president biden said are the small producers being squeezed by larger producers? And has this been the story only over the last year, or has this this been the story for the last 20 years? Uh, Tony, I would say that this has been, uh, you know, different people are going to say it's a problem of a different scale. Uh, if most people would say that this has been a, a slowly evolving uh, situation, again, in the beef, beef industry, they would probably say it is much more of a concern uh, than the pork industry would. Um, you know, as far as the, the processors and, and packers, you know, those large four that you mentioned, uh, they're the ones that have the economies of scale to, you know, produce take lots of animals in and, and send out lots of meat product on the other other side. You know, we here in Indiana would love to see a more vibrant, uh, small, uh, regional uh, packer and processor uh, network. But the truth of the matter is all those local packers and, and butchers and processors, they just don't have the scale to to process more than maybe about 1% of, uh, you know, all the pigs that are in the state of Indiana. So 
whether we like it or not, uh, the, the larger processors are, are here, and we have to, you know, work with them and see if, you know, we can find a situation and solutions that make it equitable for everybody. So as I understand you, sir, uh, you have consolidation that has taken place within the industry. So you have uh, larger companies that have purchased uh, smaller companies. I believe that you've got, when in terms of the beef market, you have four companies that control 85% of the beef market. And then in poultry, uh, the top four control 54%. Pork, the top four f- control about 70% of the market. You know more about the pork than anything else. You'd ag- agree with that? those basic numbers. I've got that part yes. correct, right? Yes, I would. So, so is is this a conversation of processing ability? Like, for example, when we talk about oil coming to the United States and we need to make gasoline, we've got a storm that, that hits uh, Louisiana and Texas, and then the refineries are offline for a week, and we see gas prices rise. We have a cyber attack uh, there in the Carolinas, and, we, and the refinery is offline, and the pipeline's offline, we see gas prices rise. And then there's a conversation of why don't we have more refineries, and that leads to an environmental conversation. But the point is, is that it's not so much the oil conversation as it is the refinery conversation. Are we now having a are we talking about the fact that we don't have enough processors or the fact that even a small regional or local processor can't put out the product fast enough in a way that is uh, uh, financially beneficial for both the processor and the end user of the supermarket? Uh, Tony, I think you, you hit the nail on the head uh, with with that on both counts. With you know, specifically in pork, uh, we've seen a situation over the last couple of years where supply has is you know of animals has outstripped uh, the processing uh, capacity, and we really saw that uh, exemplified. Uh, you know. During COVID, uh, you know, last year and the previous year where, you know, you had so many processing plants that had to shut down because uh, there were too many of their, you know, line employees that were sick. And, you know, with when you're dealing with a, a live product, you can't just put that animal on a shelf and say, okay, we'll, we'll send it to, to market in, in two months when, uh, you know, when conditions improve, you know, that animal's got to continue to be fed. It's going to continue to grow. And even short-term disruptions in, in the uh, processing uh, in the United States can have very dire and, and long-term uh, effects. So it's definitely, I think the, in the pork sector, we could see a need for, you know, improved amount of capacity. And I think, you know, one of the things that we would, if, if we try and find something positive out of what the, uh, what the president was proposing, you know, try and look at uh, expanding the amount of uh, producer or pork producer or beef producer owned uh, processing capacity. And that would hopefully, uh, give more opportunities for uh, better pricing, you know, industry-wide. And if there's more competition there, then hopefully on the other end of the spectrum, you see more uh, competition for food service and retailers to be able to buy, buy product from and hopefully keep 
prices, you know, at a level that, you know, consumers can feel good about. Talking to David Harden, manager of Harden Farms outside of Danville, Indiana. What the president said was, was that these companies are, his words, greedy, because I never use uh, that, that word. I'm just using his words uh, basically to describe what he said. These companies are doing damage. These companies are hurting farmers like you, and something has to be done about it. He is putting the blame there. Do small ranchers, small farmers like yourself, do you see any good that came from Joe Biden's statement? Is there anything there that's going to help you? Well, I I never like to pit things in an us versus them uh, situation. Uh, but the president you know, did it, right? The president did that to you. I'm not doing it to you. Yeah. That's why I'm asking, does the president's words help you, the small producer, in any way, shape, or form? Well, we personally do sell uh, some of our animals to one of those big, big four. Um, and, you know, we try and keep the conversation with them, uh, you know, amicable uh, because we're, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're free market capitalists. We're trying to look out for, for ourselves and negotiate the best, best deal we can. Uh, you know, if, if the president thinks that, uh, you know, creating, uh, you know, that sort of a tense uh, dynamic is, is beneficial, uh, well, then I'm going to leave that, leave that up to him. But I think there are more constructive ways that we can, we can try and work through this. Before I let you go, in, in, in 30 seconds or, or, or less, um, what has hurt the small rancher more? Inflation, regulation, or um, uh, the, the, the big four putting the squeeze on? Uh, right now, from, from our perspective, I think we're, we've definitely been feeling the bite more from inflation. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the supply chain disruptions uh, that, you know, have caused prices to spike, uh, you know, we're, we've been having trouble uh, sourcing some of the uh, minerals and amino acids that we and vitamins that we use uh, for feed for our animals. Uh, and so we've seen in some cases, you know, prices have gone up 200 percent on those over the last year. Uh, on the crop side of our operation, we've seen uh Fertilizer prices uh, double uh, since last year. So it's trying to figure out how to, you know, pencil out a, a profit when, you know, we are price takers. Uh, we're not price makers. That That's definitely been a challenge, and it's something that we're going to have to really focus on uh, over the next year to 18 months. David Harden, manager of Harden Farms outside of Danville, Indiana, member of the board of directors for the Indiana Pork Producers Association. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. Republicans seem pretty serious about the idea of an impeachment of Joe Biden. Ted Cruz was doing his podcast. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's that is on the table. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's a chance of that. And, and whether it's justified or not, uh, as we talked about when verdict launched, uh, the Democrats weaponized impeachment. 
they used it for partisan purposes to go after Trump because they disagreed with him. And one of the real disadvantages of doing that, and, and this is something you and I talked about at great length, is the more you weaponize it and turn it into a, a partisan cudgel, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I said at the time, when we have a Democratic president and a Republican House, you can expect an impeachment proceeding. That's not... Okay. Well, now this is actually like a, a conversation. And I don't know if this is a strategic mistake or not. First, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't want any part of this stuff, right? I can't stand this stuff. That's not what impeachment is for, for political retribution. But it's what the Democrats did, and now they have to suffer. They have to suffer. But my question about being tactical, does this inspire Democrats? Does this inspire people on the fence to say, oh, gosh, I can't have these revenge seekers. I'm voting for the Democrats. Or are they like, yeah, absolutely. Finally, Republicans are going to fight. Maybe Democrats will learn a lesson when they suffer. I'm not sure how that goes yet. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.